0: Good morning, my name is Jesse Robinson. I'm a pastor here at Trinity. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. If you're new, I'd like to offer a welcome especially to you. I'd love to meet you after this service. So if you would turn in your uh, bulletins to the sermon text printed or in your Bibles or on your apps to Luke chapter 7, you're going to need the text before you. Luke chapter 7. We're in the midst of a series here at Trinity about, entitled Begging Jesus about these times in which Jesus is begged in the Gospels and how he responds to that. This is one of the most beautiful and profound stories in all of Scripture and in, in the Gospels. It's this beautiful story and I want you to, to see and hear and to feel it today as we look at this. So if you would give your attention to You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Christ is with us in his word. And so we pray, Lord, that as we... Go through this that we would see nothing less than Jesus. or that we'd hear his voice speaking to us, that you would make this incredibly personal. Oh Lord, we know that you love to do that. In Christ's name. Amen. So back in two thousand sixteen, Larry King sat down with actor Sir Anthony Hopkins for an interview. At age seventy-nine, Hopkins was asked by King if he had any regrets. No, he answered. He said, quote, we move on because we're acceptable for what we are, not what we think we should be. I'm accepted in myself by what I am, but not as I think I should be. I'm a sinner. I'm an old sinner. I've done some bad things. I've done some good things. So, you know, you just forgive yourself and just move on. In this answer, we get a stunning view of Hawkins' default religion. It's a kind of Christless Christianity. He admits that he sins, that he craves acceptance, and that he needs forgiveness. But he finds all of these things in himself. He accepts himself, he says. He forgives himself. You just forgive yourself and just move on. But self-forgiveness is profoundly difficult. Like, what if you can't forgive yourself? Have, have you been there? Have you ever been on the the hamster wheel of guilt and shame that you just can't get off? And the more you run, the faster it goes. You've done something, said something, thought something, hidden something that conjures up so much shame that you can barely look in the mirror. And we've all got this judge inside of us that brings wave after wave of charges of condemnation. I think there are, there are many strategies of silencing that internal judge, right? We, we rationalize. Well, it wasn't that bad. We deflect. Maybe I don't have self-control, but at least I'm kind. Like, I'm, the, I'm a kind person. Or we get defensive. Like, if people could just understand my intentions, what I was trying to do, we escape into private fantasies like Netflix or Facebook or overeating. I don't know. We have many doctors in this room. And I don't know how they feel about WebMD. It would be fascinating to find out. Um, but Web, WebMD actually had an article about self-forgiveness. My favorite part is right underneath the title of How to Forgive Yourself. It had a checkmark underneath the title, which assures that the advice had been medically reviewed. That's good. It said, You may at times do something that challenges your own self-perception. And it can be hard to reconcile with yourself when you do something that negatively affects you or others. That's reconciliation with what we've done. Like, we, we all have known that at some point in our life. How do I forgive myself? How do I face my brokenness? And what do I do with the monologue of condemnation that comes from within? That's the question I want to enter into our passage today. What do I do... How do I forgive myself? We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at a sinner's judgment, the forgiving judge, and the love of forgiveness. A sinner's judgment, the forgiving judge, and the love of forgiveness. So first, a sinner's judgment. So Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house to eat. And if you don't know, the Pharisees were the cultural and religious elite of the day, the teachers of God's word. They were the holy men of Israel, And so far in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees have been critical and suspicious of Jesus. But Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner, which in the ancient Near East is a sign of fellowship, an invitation to to friendship. And that's remarkable. Simon is interested in Jesus. He's pursuing him. The only other Pharisee in all the gospels to show a a positive interest in Jesus is, is Nicodemus, who comes in the night. And so Simon publicly invites Jesus to his house. A couple other details that are important for us to know. The invitation of a teacher to a dinner at a Pharisee's house was a semi-public event. This is not like some woman just coming into your family Thanksgiving dinner, okay? That would be very strange, disturbing, right? This is a semi-public event. People of all kinds would come to hear the wisdom of this teacher. This is akin more to a, a special lecture at UVA. And at such a dinner, the invited guests would not sit, but they would actually recline at the table, which is my favorite way to eat as well. <laughs> they prod themselves up on one elbow, the other arm free to eat, with their legs and feet furthest away from the table, like spokes on a wheel. Such dinners would often take place in a house's outdoor courtyard, which could accommodate visitors and onlookers. Now, the drama, though, comes not from Simon the Pharisee, but from a particular guest and her actions. Look at verse 37. It says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. A woman of the city. Now, this is almost certainly a euphemism for a prostitute, a woman who is paid for sex. She is a sinner, Luke says, a judgment that is repeated by Luke in verse 39. Now the presence of such a a sinner, a woman even, amidst holy men is already shocking. But her actions further disrupt. Simon likely wanted to engage Jesus in an intellectual and theological discourse. Like, let's talk about who the Messiah is, right? But now this woman is weeping, bathing Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, and kissing them. The dinner now has this awkward soundtrack of sniffling and weeping, this white noise, and his guest, Jesus, is probably thoroughly distracted. And suddenly the host watches with concern. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon judges, Simon judges the woman. There it is, the second identification of this woman as the sinner. She has no name. She is merely a sinner. Unclean, immoral, shameful. That's her name, her essence. And we can imagine that Simon's thoughts are not reserved to him, right? There's a whole crowd probably looking at her, thinking the same thing. Like, what is she doing here? What is she doing? Have you ever been the sinner? Your brokenness, your foolishness threatens to, to bubble over out into public. It threatens to overcome your identity and become your name. You are the sinner. You are shame. You are unclean. You're sure that everyone in the room can smell it, that they know what you've done, that you are a poser, and they're asking, What is he doing here? Or maybe you're not the woman, maybe you're Simon, composed, self controlled, and concerned for the rampant immorality. Right? At face value, Simon has a respectable concern, doesn't he? Like Jesus is a reputed holy man and his holiness is absolutely undermined by such a woman here is the next celebrity pastor downfall right you have a known prostitute publicly touching and caressing a so-called teacher jesus don't you know where that mouth has been don't you know what those hands have caressed her hair publicly down an act of profound vulnerability and sexual availability She is a sinner, judges Simon. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the tension? But Luke has prepared us that maybe not everything is as it seems. You see, the word sinner has a special place in Luke's gospel. Matthew and Mark, they they have a combined use of 11 times this word sinner, and Luke almost doubles it. In fact, Luke's very purpose of this is actually to reveal something about the heart of the gospel it comes up over and over again think of the the prodigal son the lost coin in fact jesus immediately right before this story the verse right before this story jesus quotes the accusation of the pharisees and you know what their accusation of him is that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners Jesus launches his ministry, and not one chapter later, the Pharisees grumble, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's a valid question, isn't it? How can Jesus be a true teacher of God's word when he is fellowshipping with those who so clearly disregard and disobey God's word? Now, Jesus gives a preliminary answer in Luke five thirty-one and 32. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So perhaps then Simon has misjudged Jesus and the woman. What is God up to? That leads us to our second point, the forgiving judge. Can you take my trim a little bit down? I feel like I'm speaking into, I don't know what I'm speaking into. So It's intense. Thank you. Is that better? Great. I'm somewhat of a fan of my voice, but not that much. Um. So the forgiving judge. The irony is that Simon's judgment of the woman leads him to judge Jesus. Did you see that? He must not be a prophet, Simon says. But Jesus prophetically meets him in this very judgment by offering a judgment of his own. Look at verse 40. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, when Jesus is that direct, you know something's coming. When Jesus says, I have something to say to you, you best listen, okay? And he does so with a story, a parable. Verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So we have two debtors, 50, one of those 50 denarii, the other 10 times as much, which sets the point. It's a lot. It's a big debt. To make that more concrete, though, a denarius was about a day's wage, and so 50 is around two months' wage, and 500 would be about two years' worth of wages. And this parable does important work in the story. It accomplishes at least three things. First, and anticipates the forgiveness that Jesus is going to offer the woman. She will not deny that she's a sinner. He agrees that he's going to offer her forgiveness. The second thing this parable does is it affirms that Jesus is God. Why? Well, Jesus sees himself as the moneylender. You see, he is the one owed who also has the power to forgive. Now, the Pharisees are sharp theologians. They know that only God can forgive sins. That's why they leave this dinner shocked, asking the question, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? This is part of Jesus' revelation of itself. Like, I am God. That's what he's trying to tell them. I am God. I am the one who has the authority to forgive. But the third thing this does is this actually invites Simon to repent. I don't want you to miss Jesus' pursuit of Simon. Because Jesus is inviting them, the Pharisees, to repent of their religious pride to find forgiveness how many how many debtors are in this parable you can you can talk two right one is the woman and the other is simon jesus is saying don't you see yourself in this story that you are a debtor that you are a sinner jesus is inviting he is challenging simon to see himself in the story You see, we we like to think that there are good people and bad people. And there are really only two kinds of people. That is true. There are sinners who know they're sinners. And there are sinners who don't know they're sinners. So really, there's just one kind of person. There's just sinners. And Simon doesn't realize that he is one, he's like the woman. Jesus rebukes Simon for his judgment of the woman he judged her a sinner, condemning her for her sin. But Jesus, the very problem of judgment, right, is who here is without, without sin? No one. And so when we judge others, we're actually condemning our own self. Maybe we judge people for sins that we don't, we don't do. But still, the principle of Is there. Paul even says this in Romans 2. He says, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, friends, we need to talk very briefly about judgment, because the American church has a really good reputation for being pretty judgy, right? Religious people are really good at being judgy. But Jesus is teaching us here we are not to be judgmental. And there's at least two reasons for it. I already named one. The first is a problem of hypocrisy. But the second, the more fundamental reason, is that judgment belongs to God alone. He is the judge. And when we judge our brothers, we're actually placing us on ourselves, on the throne room of the Lord, on the, the seat of the Lord. And isn't it good that God is the judge, right? We don't We are not omniscient. He does. It says in 1 Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I know that talk of God's judgment is scary to some of you, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. The parable that Jesus uses to claim the authority to judge is likewise his claim to forgive. You see, we we can be so terrified that God is the judge And yet in this very same story, Jesus is trying to tell us that he is a judge who forgives. He pardons the debt of both of these debtors. The irony is is that the perfectly righteous Jesus is far more merciful and forgiving than Simon the sinner. And that is the great tragedy of the Pharisees. They knew that God was the judge. But they missed that he was a forgiving judge. Even though the scripture attests to it everywhere. Like God took forgiveness as his very name. In Exodus, when God says, this is my name, you know what it was? He says, I am the Lord a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Pharisees, don't you see who God is? And he is a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God. The Pharisees knew Psalm 51, 17, which said, The Lord does not delight in these bull sacrifices, these burnt offerings. Instead, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And they miss the fact that here before them, this woman, she is displaying all the evidence of a broken and contrite spirit. And yet they can't see it because they are judging her. You see, the Pharisees saw God as the judge of everyone else. And thus they received judgment from God. The woman saw God as the judge of her. And she asked mercy of him and she received it. For he is a judge who delights to forgive. That's the forgiving judge. Let's go to our last Final point: the love of forgiveness. the love of forgiveness. The parable about, for, about forgiveness is finally about the fruit of forgiveness, which is love. Of these two debtors, Jesus asks, "Which, who will love the money lender more once their debts are forgiven?" In verse 43, Simon answers, "The one I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt." And he said to him, you've judged rightly. It's as if Jesus says, hey, that's finally a good judgment from you, Simon. You finally got it. Who will love more? The greater debtor. And remember that love, the essence of holy religion, Jesus says in Luke 10, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what matters, love So Jesus provides the key to this passage, indeed the whole Christian life, in verse 47. I want you to look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now notice the order that Jesus gives here. Jesus does not say that she is forgiven because she loved him. No, he is reasoning backward from her love. He's saying, do you see her love, Simon? The love she poured out on me. It's because she's been forgiven. The measure of love is directly tied to the condition of forgiveness. He who is forgiven little loves little. And the inverse, that she who is forgiven much loves much. That's a profound insight. Do you struggle with love? Do you struggle to love the Lord, to obey him? Well, Jesus says the way that you love, the way that you grow in love, the measure of love is actually connected to how much you see that you've been forgiven by Him. Here is a test of true confession. Like when you confess your sins, when you repent to the Lord, do you come away with more love in your heart for Him who has forgiven you? If we don't, then have we really been forgiven? Have we truly interacted with the forgiving judge? But see... It's not only our love for God that's increased by our forgiveness, it's horizontal as well. This is a a caution for us here. In the Reformed tradition, we have this great emphasis on the mind. We live in an intellectual center with UVA here, and and yet Simon, for all his intellectual interests, he misses the kingdom of God, because for him it's not personal, it's not real. But for the woman, it's just the opposite. Like, do you see her? Do you see her hair down? She's weeping. She looks a mess. And Jesus says, look at her, Simon. First, Jesus turns to her, it says, in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? It is undignified. She is undignified. She's emotional, passionate. And it is deeply personal, her faith, her love. And notice what, what offended Simon so much about this woman and Jesus. It was the touching, right? Does this man know the kind of woman that is touching him? But it is this very touching that Jesus affirms at every move. Look, look at the rest of verse 40, 44. 44. It says, you gave me no water for my, seat, for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Jesus says, she has bathed me in the tears of her repentance, sacrificing her dignity to thank me. She has dried my feet with glory. A, woman, a woman's glory is her hair, and it's a mess just so that she could honor Jesus. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She is bowing before Jesus' feet. She showers his feet with kisses, treating him like a king. Verse 46. You, Simon, did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. That alabaster jar that she carries in, that oil was critical to her vocation, to her profession. It was probably the most pricely thing that she owned and she pours out her livelihood and her life on the feet of Jesus. You see, she is crucifying herself. She is dying to herself. And she's being made, made anew in this act at the feet of Jesus. This, you see the love. You see how personal it is. She is giving her all, every part of her, to Jesus. And don't miss the sensuality that so offends Simon. You see, this woman has found the true lover of her soul. And she gives herself bodily to him. Her sexuality has finally found the truth and meaning it was made for. Not for immorality, but for the giving of herself body and soul to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This harlot has found a husband. And friends, that's what Christianity is. It's about finding your husband husband. Jesus says, do you see this woman? Simon, this is how you should have greeted me. This is how you should have treated me. And friends, Jesus says to you, do you see this woman? Do you see her love? Do you love me like this? Or do you think that you're a 50 cents sinner? That you don't need me? In verse 48, he says to her, Your sins are forgiven. Which starts this murmuring. Your sins are forgiven. Which starts this murmuring among the Pharisees and those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? That's the question. Who is this who even forgives sin? That's the question that Luke will go on to answer throughout the gospel. And the answer is, it is Jesus Jesus forgives the woman her debts now, but he will later die for her sins. You see, he is the forgiving judge who lays down his life for the condemned. As much as the woman gives herself bodily for Jesus, Jesus gives up his body for her, for her forgiveness. Who is this who even forgives sins? It is the one who died. For our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on the punishment, the shame, the condemnation. And that question, who is this who even forgives sins? It's a question that reorients our original question What do I do when I can't forgive myself? You see, I am not the one who forgives my sins. The sinful woman did not forgive herself. What did she do when she faced the grace of conviction? And the affliction of self hatred, she ran to the one with the authority to forgive sins. You see, self forgiveness is a confusion of categories. Our sins are always against God, and He alone has the power to forgive. Self forgiveness rather often reveals a certain pride. We are angry, disappointed that we would do such a thing. Aren't we better than that? The truth is no, we're not. We're not. Or self-forgiveness can also reveal an idol, something we look to to furnish our our identity. I can't believe I said that in front of others. I'll never forgive myself. That reveals an idol of reputation, something that we value more than God. But really, self-forgiveness follows the same sin of judgment because you know what? You are not the judge even of yourself. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a beautiful grace because you know what? He is more gracious and merciful than you will ever be. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers so much more to those who are on that hamster wheel of shame and guilt. It offers true forgiveness. And it offers true peace. Notice Jesus' last statement. In verse 50, it says, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you want peace? Come to him. He is the one who forgives. Friends, we need to look at this woman She, in the midst of the guilt and the shame, she stopped at nothing to be near Jesus. She disregarded the social stigma. She pushed through the crowd until she was by Jesus' feet. And there she stayed because at Jesus' feet, her sins, which were many, were forgiven. And she leaves with peace. This woman whose character was stained, her rags filthy, became righteous, even blameless at the feet of Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about the word blameless because it describes so little of who I am. There's so many things that I want to do right, and even the things that I want to do right, there's still so much blame, so much foolishness, not even sin sometimes, just weakness. I want so badly to be blameless. But friends, in the presence of Jesus, we are blameless because he takes his righteousness, his peace, and he gives it to us. There's this, these two verses I've been meditating a lot on, Jude 24 and 25. Listen to this benediction. It says, Not a him who is able to keep you from stumbling, And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Did you hear that? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Friends, if you are in Jesus Christ, there will be a day when you stand before Jesus. With all of your history. All of your sins, your shame, your guilt. You'll be exposed And yet, in Jesus Christ, if your faith is in him, you will be pronounced blameless. Blameless. That is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Would you make us like this woman? Would we be relentless in our pursuit of you? Oh Lord, do not satisfy us with self-forgiveness. Would you instead give us a feast of your grace and your mercy? Would we see in ourselves, Lord, the, the depths of our sin and our debt to you? Lord, even for those of us who grew up in the church who say, I don't have a story like that. Father, may we convicted of our pride and even saying that or that we think we're so good father would you would you be honored and glorified and would we go out in peace knowing oh lord that in jesus we are blameless or we just want to sit at your feet and have you pronounce your good judgment over us that we are our sins are forgiven in christ's name amen